Hello? Hello? <sighs> Is anybody out there? Welcome to All the Shit with Tom and Will. This, this is the Quick Hit Weekly. What's up, Tom? <laughs> What's going on, Will? <laughs> Welcome back to All the Shit. What's going on, shitheads? It's another week. Another week with uh, two of us chuckleheads trying to keep our lives together. Easier said than done sometimes. <laughs> Always easier said than done. I think that's that's a given. Yeah. How was your week, man? You got a high-low wild card for us? My whole life's a wild card, as you've said previously. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, actually I do this time. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that my low is I am just completely dissatisfied and demoralized when I think about the health care that we have access to or the quality of the health care, which put a pin in it. I know we've got decent health care in this country, but the system is broken. Maybe I, I don't know. I still just can't. Oh, yeah. The system's definitely broken for yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah. Now I say that realizing that people would kill to have access to the health care and benefits that you and I have. But um, there are people in this country that don't have access to the same yeah, benefits absolutely. that you and I have. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. So even with those benefits and, you know, access to, to doctors and stuff, the inability of them to provide positive outcomes is, is just kind of disappointing. You know, I'm, of course, referring to uh, the limes and, and all that nonsense I'm dealing with. Basically, I'm at a standstill. It's like, yeah, that's not good, but I can't refer you back to the hospital to get a spinal tap. I can, but they're going to keep turning you away. And and so I, I, through my PCP, I just don't have an outlet to, to get the issue addressed or you know, to come up with some sort of treatment plan or anything like that. So that's been extremely frustrating. So what, you just wait until you almost die and then they'll take care of you? Well, I mean, I think that's that's basically it. I think my PCP did everything he could. He's like, we need to do additional testing. And what he's recommending is a spinal tap, which I don't, I don't want to do, but I want to do because that'll provide, you know, maybe next steps. Infectious disease refused his referral. I went to the hospital. They declined to do the spinal tap. How can they refuse the referral? They feel that, you know, the standard of care he provided was appropriate. And then they told him to tell me to go back to the ER and to get a spinal tap. I'm like, we've been down this freaking road. Like, I'm just going to do this and, you know, be on the hook for a couple grand every time, you know, until they get tired of seeing me. So... That's, that's been pretty frustrating. You know, in addition to that, the constant white noise is maddening. And so I'm, I'm, of course, doing my web sleuthing, web research, all that. Some of these symptoms that can be associated with chronic Lyme's, which I'm self-diagnosing at this point because, mm-hmm. you know, I can't get past, uh, past the acute Lyme's diagnosis. Some of the, the neurological symptoms I'm experiencing, which constant white noise, the other thing I had mentioned about uh, at one point in time, male voices were sounding robotic. It was crazy, crazy, I know. And every time I say that, people look at me like I'm crazy. But it can actually result in permanent hearing loss. I can't imagine how frustrating that must be for you. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it was it was crazy, dude. I thought I was going nuts. So, you know, long story short, that's, that's the low. Just, you know, exhausted with that whole thing. Like, well, I guess I'll wait around until I develop cancer or heart issues or just completely stiffen up with meningitis. So Yeah, and you're going and be like, oh. Did you know you have Lyme? Like, <laughs> yeah, no shit. I did. Yeah. I wanted to find out if it was like chronic or meningitis, you know, or so anyways, that's frustrating. Flip side. So that's been going on for weeks at this point, weeks, because it's been well over a month since my last doctor visit. Actually, today 
I found another provider that is an infectious disease provider in Salem that'll take me without a referral. So I actually got an appointment to go see them next Wednesday. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Silver lining, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, that literally just happened like midday today. So that's keeping my fingers crossed. Hopefully they'll be able to give me some sort of guidance or, you know, next steps. Yeah, man. It is crazy. Fortunately, every time I've had a major issue, Mm -hmm. I've been in a system that is basically a single payer system. So you pay in and you can have whatever service you want. Like when I had my elbow Uh, reconstructed, the entire thing from my initial consult through surgery, through everything, I had a $50 copay. That was what it. kind of insurance that was that through your parents? No, no? I was when I was in in Denver. Um, the Kaiser system out there is basically built as a single payer system. Wow. Yep. That's awesome. So now the nonsense you deal with, you're like, ugh. Yeah, it's jumping through hoops to jump through hoops, and it's hard to jump through hoops when you have a broken ankle, for example. You know, it's like. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I get it, man. I feel that. Yeah. So so, anyways, not to belabor that, but that's that's been taking up a lot of a lot of mind share. You know, beyond finally getting a, an appointment with a specialist, you know, I've, I've got another high as far as just uh, I'm continually seeing examples of my daughter going above and beyond to help other people. Uh, and it's just really encouraging and rewarding as a parent, you know, how much value and emphasis she puts on helping other people with no personal gain whatsoever. How old is she now? She's seven. So what kind of stuff? Like helping old ladies put their groceries in the car or what? I mean, literally anything. She asked, uh, she told me about this just today as I was taking her to class. She had asked her mother, they were they were going somewhere, I, I don't know where. She asked her to find a charity she could donate. She wanted to give some of her money to, to help people. This is actually a good segue into my wild card, but there's a, a girl in gymnastics that she trains with that is blind, I believe. I don't know if that's acceptable to say or visually impaired is what you have to say these days but she's uh she's blind and and she goes out of her way to help lead her around and explain things to her and so it's just it's awesome to see like such a young little person trying to be a good person you know yeah very compassionate yeah yeah absolutely you know and actually that ties into the which is one of my points later on about empathy versus compassion because i made a note i know you did and so we're going to be talking about that later but it ties into into the wild card because she was telling me and full disclaimer i do not consider myself a good parent sometimes i uh i say or do or encourage behavior that some parents might look down on, but it is what it is, so deal with it. Uh, and so anyway, she was telling me about this situation where she was actually helping this girl, the one that's visually impaired, and some other girl was giving her a ton of crap about it, like just busting her chops. I don't remember exactly what she was saying to her, but just going on and on and wouldn't leave her alone. And she was telling me this after work, and it was a day I was already a little stressed or whatever, and, and so I'm listening to her and listening to her, and I'm like, Lil, Lil, you know, you were in the right here. You were not doing anything wrong. And if you need to, you drop that freaking hoe. And I was like, oh. You called her a hoe? <laughs> I know, I know. I just said, I said, you drop that hoe. And I'm like, oh, no. I meant to say, you drop that little girl. <laughs> I'm like looking around. I'm like, okay, mommy was not within <laughs> earshot. I'm like, look, seriously, you never need to resort to physical violence first and foremost. But sometimes... You know, that is a line that needs to be crossed. Not that that was merited. I understand. Bad parent. No all apologies, that. bro. No but, apologies. Uh, but We're yeah, in the safe space here. I know. I know. I was like, I said that and I'm like, probably shouldn't have said that. But damn it, I'm going to stand by it. 
There you go. Double down. Double down. Why not? Why not? So what happened? What what was the fallout from that? Have, has she been to gymnastics since then, or is today the first time she's? Uh, gone? She's she's today will be the second time. I don't think like I don't think it was anything really to it. Like this girl's not bullying her or anything. It was just that one like a one off uh, instance, and so I, I don't think anything's come of it. She's not she's not the type of kid that's gonna like be like okay, sweet dad said I can I can drop this fool and you know go do that. But you know I do want her to know that you have every right to protect yourself. And even though it may not be socially acceptable or we want to play nice and avoid certain things, if push comes to shove, you hit first and ask questions later, right? Like if it, if it goes to that extreme. And hopefully you also, you know, gave her kudos for standing up for someone oh, who can't stand up for themselves to the same extent that Absolutely. We can. I make every point to, to let her know that, you know, what she's doing is right and appropriate. And, you know, really, first and foremost, just brush them off. Tell them, you know, I start with like, tell them whatever. I don't care what you say. You know, like little sassy stuff. And it was it was an extreme. There's no need for that to get violent or anything. I just, I had had it that day. And, you know, I'm, I'm like thinking to myself, for God's sake, she's trying to help this little girl and, you know, this other kid's over here, you know, trying to start crap, knowing that it's an, it's just a, a little child, you know, totally not a merited response. I under, I understand fully, but it's what I said. Yeah. I mean, I, I probably would have done the same thing, to be honest with you. I don't know if I would have used the terminology ho, but I'm not as hood as you are. <laughs> I know. I'm straight up street, son. <laughs> Maybe we could cut that. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> so what about you? Any any highs, lows, wild cards? Yeah, man. I don't know if I have a good wild card this week, but I definitely have... Well, I'll start with a low. Mm-hmm. All right. So obviously all the talk we've done about bears. Yeah. And then I noticed, I texted you that Cocaine Bear was available on Amazon Prime. Mm-hmm. I watched it. I did too. Did you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I thought it was pretty bad in what way it was like it wanted to be a quentin tarantino film with the gratuitous violence and gore yeah and some of the slapstick comedy that that was you know on that and makes you like cringe and laugh at the same time the plot was like meh yeah like the whole thing it just seemed like a b minus Quentin Tarantino wannabe. Did you not expect that going into the movie, though? No, I thought it would be good. Really? See, see, I have a problem with people who crap on movies all the time. Not saying that you do, but I go into those movies expecting nothing. Like, I'm like, this is going to be horrible, but let's check it out. No, that's true. I didn't have great, like, I wasn't expecting it to be a masterpiece. Yeah. But when we were traveling in L.A. at the beginning of this year, there were billboards for this movie. Right. Which to me says, all right, the studio thinks this is good. I think, and I could be wrong, I think one of the reasons it got the press it did was because it was Ray Liotta's last movie before he passed away. Yeah, I I don't know, man. Yeah, maybe not. I I could be wrong. I don't know. But anyways, I thought for what it was, it was what I expected. You You were entertained. Yeah, yeah. I didn't turn it off. Yeah, I watched the whole thing. Yeah. It takes a lot for me to turn a movie off. Even if it's bad, I'll watch it because I'm like, there's got to be something redemptive about this. There were, to that point, there were were a couple funny points that made me chuckle. But to that point, I watched a movie called Rubber. And I watched it all the way through. I don't know if you've ever heard about this, but let me lay it out for you. It is about a psychopathic tire that goes around killing people. Okay. Literally a tire Okay. I watched the whole thing. <laughs> I do not recommend it, but, you know, I was like, oh, 
kind of got what I expected out of that situation. You know? Yeah, but I guarantee you there were not billboards, full billboards oh, taken out on Hollywood no. Boulevard this for this was movie. Not, this movie aspires to be a B-. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, there, you know, there's a genre for everything. There's, yeah. there's a place for that kind of stuff. This just surprised me. I, it didn't live up to the expectations based on surrounding signals that I got saying, yeah. hey, this is going to be great. Yeah. So that's all. So are you going to see Cocaine Shark? You know, I might pass on that one. No, you won't. You'll watch it. I'm going to watch it. We, we could set up a time to do that. I feel like that's one you kind of need to be a little drunk or a little high to appreciate. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll see. All right, so my high. Yeah. You um, got high? Yes, but <laughs> not during this particular instance. Last Friday, I was working from home. I was on a call. My smallest dog, Jolene, was outside. So mm-hmm. She's like beagle-sized. And all of a sudden, she starts going ballistic. And usually, that's like par for the course. But my bigger dog, Maddie, is inside, and she started going ballistic, too. So were you thinking, bear? I I was thinking it was something. At first, I thought it was just like a delivery truck coming, because Maddie usually does not care if Jolene is going crazy, unless she knows that something is going on. And they love delivery guys, because they give them milk bones and treats and stuff, right? Really? Yeah. Do delivery guys carry dog treats? They do. I did not know that. Yep. So um, that's what I thought it was. So I put myself on mute, turned my camera off on this meeting, and ran and just let Maddie outside and then finished the meeting. And they were still barking, and no truck had come by. And how long had this been? It was like 15 minutes left in the meeting. So a, Yeah, a lot of barking. It's a, yeah, it's a lot of barking for to be as amped as they were. Yeah. So I went outside, and I'm standing on the porch looking down in the driveway, and Maddie is actually in the garage barking and howling. And I'm like, this is... From a distance? inside the garage yeah yeah barking and howling at whatever jolene's barking at out in the driveway right which is a ways away yeah so she had gone downstairs seen what jolene saw and then ran away and hid in the garage but still was barking her support (laughs) yeah so i'm like what the fuck what is going on i'm looking down there i'm like it's a pile of leaves what are you barking at and as i got down closer to it i heard this I walked a little bit closer, and all of a sudden, I was like, holy shit. It was a timber rattler. Awesome. Yeah, a freaking rattlesnake, man. These things are endangered. They are very rare, Yeah. and we live in a part of the country, this region, where they will occasionally see them. So I was looking at this thing, and I shot this video of it. Obviously, I had to get pretty close to it to, to do this. What wound up happening is I pulled the dogs back, put them inside, went and got my phone, and came out to shoot video of this thing, take some pictures. Yeah. And it was already going down into the trees, which is where you see it in the video. Yeah. But holy crap. Look how thick that thing is, man. I mean, it's like... it's a, Dude, that is a substantial snake. It is. It was a big snake. And so I didn't kill it because they're endangered. Right. And why, like... It's just doing its thing. Yes. But when I have copperheads around my house, if yeah. they are around my house, for if I see them multiple times, I'll kill them because right. I don't want them to get in the garage and yeah. you know surprise Anna in the morning or something yeah. like that. But I haven't seen this snake since, but I'm really glad. I saw it was one of the coolest things I've seen in a while. It right. was a beautiful snake, but it was just coiled up in a way that looked like part of a branch had fallen off and was upside down and kind of popped up yeah, a little bit. So, that's awesome. I've always wanted to see one. I, I mean, I've lived in this area for over two decades and I've never seen one, you know, so that's, that's a, that's a lucky find. Yeah, that was pretty cool. So I enjoyed that. 
Yeah, not quite a bear, but hey, man, every time I see something new out here, wildlife related, yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, it's great. I I really love seeing hawks. Any kind of hawk, it's I I, I spot them all the time. There's been uh, two or three separate occasions coming home, and I'll I'll uh, just be driving, but they always catch my attention for some reason. Where I've seen a hawk two or three times, separate occasions, swoop down and come up with a freaking snake. That's cool. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. I have seen that one time when I was a kid in Arizona. I yeah. saw a, a hawk go down and grab a rattlesnake. But Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, man. I love just driving by the farm fields and see you see them like lined up on, yeah. the, on the light yeah. poles and the fence posts just yeah. like looking. Yep. Hunting. Yeah, man. Hunting. <laughs> Hunting. I don't know that I have a wild card this week. I was thinking about it last night and my wild card, I think, was just, I was just so stoked on this conversation i had with jeff as i was re-listening to it in preparation for us chatting about it today i was like damn he packed a lot of really intense stuff into that hour and 20 minutes or whatever that episode is. yeah there was a lot there and it all ultimately circled around mindfulness Mm -hmm. if you listen to it and you're thinking all he's doing is talking about mindfulness yes but everything he said had a direct correlation back to it and i think it showed that Yes, being mindful does connect to every facet of your life if you can frame it in the right way. What I found really interesting, and actually while I was talking to him, I had the thought when he was talking about, you know, he used to be into spiritual stuff and mystical type stuff. I thought, Will did too. And you've kind of talked to me about that a little bit in the past. So when you were listening to it, did you have a connection back to that time in your life and can you tell me what that part of your life was like for you yeah um that i mean that wasn't super strong there were other points i i kind of circled in on um just point of clarification i think he referred to more uh quote-unquote metaphysical than than mystical yeah and it was it was the buddhism point where it's yeah. like you know kind of related to that that you, and i know you had mentioned that before yeah i mean there i wasn't like practicing buddhism or anything but certainly uh in in high school and college you know a little while after college i, w- I was just always very interested in philosophy and buddhist philosophy and just the um kind of some of the general tenets which at the time i boiled down to kind of really just being a good person you know there, there's a lot of morality that's associated with that you know I've always tried to avoid harming anything unless it's absolutely necessary that being said I, I also think that if you're going to eat meat you should be prepared to kill meat mm-hmm. you know that that type of thing but I go out of my way to catch spiders and set them outside at home right kids think still it's crazy. to this day to this day yeah nice. yeah and i you know again it's not that i think that i will be rewarded in some afterlife or you know i will come back be reincarnated in a higher form or anything it's just you know that spider's not doing anything but trying to live its life and i can just as easily squish it and then have a grease stain to clean up or i can just grab it and set it outside and so yeah. i i do that yeah, I think that, I mean, it's just a healthy respect for life. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I do that with a lot of things, too. I've done that with spiders. Mm-hmm. The one thing I don't do it with is wasps and moths. And yeah. Those two things. But actually, sometimes I will go out on the front porch. Like, if I, you know, in the fall when yeah. you have those big garden spiders that make those huge elaborate oh, webs. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, we love yeah, those, man. too. So I'll go out in the evenings and just let the porch light stay on long enough to attract some moths to get him some food catch one and <laughs> drop it in there and watch that thing yeah. go to town Ooh, you know what's fun what's really interesting is we're applying different value to lives you know whether it's a spider okay well that's cool we can save that spider 
or it's a you know a wasp that wasp didn't ask to be a wasp you know and so i think it's it's interesting obviously the the spider's not going to sting you it could bite you but anyways that's a bit of a, a diatribe or a, or a bunny trail or whatever you, you want to call it but so i i didn't really bring back any strong memories or urges to to jump back into that stuff it did, you know, I did briefly just kind of think back and, yeah, you know, I, I was into Eastern philosophy and things like that. I had a half-assed attempt at meditation, you know, a couple times just from stuff I'd read. I could never still my mind enough to, to pursue it, you know, and really at that point in time, I was getting into working out, lifting weights. And that was really kind of where I found my peace and, and centered myself, so to speak. So that just kind of became the predominant thing in my life. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. What was your biggest thing from this interview that you thought was interesting? Yeah, so I mean, I think that ah, there was a lot there. There were there were three points, and they were actually towards the end. And so, you know, the um, the part where uh, Jeff talked about losing a child, I mean, it was hard to listen to as a parent, you know, and just listening to it almost choked me up a little bit. Like, and, and so I can't I can't imagine going through that and you know that whole experience with his wife and, and the child and everything they had to go through and everything associated with it but what was really really stood out to me was kind of the manner in which he talked about it and and what I gather that he gained from it you know as much as he lost he also gained and I'm just continually reminded when I hear stories or situations like that of how much stronger other people are than I am, you know, emotionally and, and mentally, because I'm thinking to myself, man, something like that could have ended me, you know, and I wouldn't have, I just don't think I, I'd have a positive outlook or healthy outlook on it. Or, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't sit there and go, you know, maybe there's a reason in all of this, or there's some good that can come out of it. And it's, you know, for me to do something or be there for somebody else that's experiencing a similar tragedy or loss, and I just, I, you know. Well, he did make very clear it's not that it happened for a reason. That, and that's one yeah, of the worst things you can say. But it is, and keep in mind also that he's, you know, years removed from yeah. this. So I remember when we did talk about it. And, he yeah. met, you know, he mentioned that he called me and we talked about it. And, you know, he was absolutely wrecked. Yeah. And he has been battling that for a long time and that's something that he's working his way through still to this day yeah but it's taken him even with the mindfulness training that he has it's taken him a long time to get to the point where he can talk about it yeah with you know someone like me on a podcast and it not just wreck his world so yeah you and know. you're you're absolutely right i misspoke there it's been like a week since i listened to it uh, I didn't get a chance to listen to it again, but you're right. It wasn't that everything happens for a reason. It was that good can come out of this bad thing. Yeah. Right? That was his yeah. message. And yeah. yeah, so I apologize. I misspoke there, but still, I, I mean, I think that's, that's profound. And that is, you know, I aspire to some point in my life, have that perspective on something negative, right? Not that I, I want something that bad to happen to me, but bad stuff happens to all of us, varying degrees and severity. I don't have that perspective on little bad things that happen, so I know I wouldn't have it on big bad things. And, yeah, you know, it's just heavy and uh, and a lot of respect for somebody that can frame something like that in that way. I agree. That was some really valuable insight, and you know, he's right. It's the same thing. You know, Anna and I lost a child, right. and 
it was right around the same time. So Jeff and I were kind of commiserating in it together. Oh, I didn't realize the timelines aligned. Yeah, it was pretty close. Yeah. And so we were going through some of that together. I hadn't talked to anybody about it. Right. And so hearing him kind of gave me the courage to also share with him what I was going through. Yeah. And, you know, he's right, man. Like, that community is a lot bigger than you think it is. Yeah. And it's one of those things that just people don't want to talk about it. And, you know, for good reason. But once you do and you open up about it, and this was something that Anna mentioned to me, was that so many people shared with her their story. Mm-hmm. And it just helped her feel like she wasn't alone. Yeah. Right? It doesn't make it better or easier in any capacity. Right. Other than, oh, all right, more people have done this. More people have gone through this. I'm, I can lean on people for support and they'll understand what I'm going through. You yeah. Know? yeah. And I think it's one of those things where understanding what someone's going through I've had situations where I, I, something bad has happened to me and someone's like, oh, I know what you're going through. And it's like, no, you fucking don't. Yeah. Right. Because you had something unrelated. Bad, and, you know, it's interesting. It'll come up in um, a future conversation that, that is going to be here with, with Kevin. He suffered a loss, uh, an actual death of uh, a close person to him. Mm-hmm. And someone was like, I know how you feel. My boyfriend just broke up with me and I'm feeling the same way. And so trying to equivocate. A breakup to yeah. a death? Yeah. So, I mean, wow. like, when that happens, it's like, nah, right? That's, uh, we're, we're, we're not even close. Yeah, man. So, and even in this case, you know, everyone has their own story with it. Yeah. So it's not trying to, hey, me too, but just be available, right? Yeah. You can tell your story, but don't try and equivocate. And I think, you know, most people kind of get that, but obviously some people don't, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah, thank you, Jeff, for for being so open and sharing that. And hopefully that perspective that you were able to share with us helps someone else in that situation either try and find someone that they can talk through their feelings with and verbalize that rather than let that fester and perhaps, you know, use a tool like mindfulness to start working through some of that stuff for themselves. Yeah, yeah. Another another interesting point, too, and I, I don't know, I just feel like, Maybe this is the case. I could I could be off on this. I'm off on a great many things. Oh, as we know. We know. As you're yeah. well aware, it would appear there's some underlying assumption that that type of loss is and should be devastating to the mother, right? But in that situation, it you know the the father should just be able to blow it off because they you know maybe they did or maybe they didn't get to meet the child or hold the child or, or this or that or the other. But, you know, you're talking about loss, loss of life, and that's, that's devastating. And so I, I don't know. What's your perspective on that? Do you think that it's, it's downplayed for men, that type of loss, a little bit more than it is for women? Or I think it's downplayed for sure. I yeah. think there's um, something just innately. So I can say from my perspective, it took me a long time after we lost our child to come to grips with the fact that I had not grieved at all. Mm -hmm. So in the immediate aftermath of that, I was more concerned with making sure Anna was okay and taking care of her Yeah, and just letting her go through that process of grieving the loss. Right. And I didn't even think to look at myself and figure out, well, if, if anything was affecting me. Right. And it wasn't until six months later that I really was just going through a period of depression and I couldn't put my finger on what it was. It was also, you know, it was shortly after I had lost my friend Mark. Mm-hmm. So that was part of it too. But 
it took a lot for me to then look inside and be like, you know what, this is actually, this affected me in a big, big way. Yeah. And I have not addressed it. And, you know, fuck it, I'll say it. The way that I figured that out for myself was through a psychedelic experience. Mm -hmm. And that trip put me in a place where my mind unveiled what was truly inside. Right. And it was the most painful and at the same time cathartic experience to recognize, fuck, I did not grieve this at all. I'd just been holding it. And I was so preoccupied with making sure that she was okay that I didn't take care of myself. Yeah, you were filling your role as man and husband and take, you know, taking care of everybody else first. Yeah, and you know, I, I told you about that experience uh, when, it, when it happened, like right after I'd had that revelation. Yeah. And I was crying in front of you in mm-hmm. your office telling you that story again. Yeah. It was absolutely the most emotionally powerful experience of my life. Yeah. And just recognizing that and processing that and coming through that. And on the other side, I felt incredibly light and almost joyful, just not joyful at the fact right. that it had happened, right. but it was kind of like all of the grief fell off and the seesaw swung violently back in the other direction and I was left that much lighter. Yeah, and just more at peace. Yeah. yeah, so I mean, I understand that it takes a long time sometimes for that to process, but I don't think there's anybody out there, male or female, who has lost a child and felt nothing. Yeah. Heavy shit, man. No shit. (laughs) (laughs) There were a few things that I wanted to talk about in relation to this. The first thing being, Jeff mentioned a video game addiction. Mm -hmm. And so this, you know, it put me in the mindset of the conversation we had about Jason's, uh, you know, conversation and your just unable to understand the concept of like addiction. How does that happen to yeah. somebody, right? Yeah. And I think in that, I ultimately landed on traumas at the root of it until you can exercise that trauma or at least process it. Yeah. That can continue to pull you down that path. Yeah. And so I thought Jeff was illuminating in that his addiction, it wasn't necessarily a trauma that was holding him, but it was that loneliness. So it's still a pain right? Mm-hmm. The pain of loneliness, no friends, no community, and his girlfriend living in a different city or yeah. three hours away or whatever. And that was what sucked him in. What made it more possible for him to get out was that he was able to quickly fill that void, right? So spending time with his girlfriend right, and playing hockey again. So he replaced it with something that was healthier, Yeah, but he still recognized the pull mm-hmm. and the dopamine that comes from that video game, right? Yeah. I thought that was really interesting. I wondered if you had listened to that and put any of that together as you're thinking about the previous conversation. No, not really. You know, I, I heard it, but I think that different things happen in my mind when you talk about a video game addiction or you talk about a substance addiction, right? To, to me, you know, I, I think I hear video game addiction like, you know, a workout addiction. You know, or, or, or something which I think like is that. also a thing. I mean, I guess it could be. Maybe, maybe that's my, my fault. But um, I still struggle to to understand. And, and I think for for his situation, it was probably I'm going to assume recognized as an addiction after the fact, right? Like, oh damn, I was I was addicted to. I don't know. Maybe he realized in the yeah he in the realized moment in when the he moment was spending when, eight hours a day yeah you know playing video games or whatever um, that it was 
maybe unhealthy, and that's why I started moving away from it. But again, I, I don't know, man. But you I know, just... it came down to at the end what you were talking about. Like, how can you look at your family, for example, right. and choose a substance over them? Yeah. He got that from his girlfriend and chose her. Yeah. Right. So there is that choice that you were talking about. Yeah. The gravity that is pulling you one way or the other. I think that depends on what the root of that pain is for you. Yeah. Well, what what I mean, what makes something an addiction from com- your perspective? To me, it's the compulsion to do it, even against your better judgment. Right. Right. So, so you can know I'm fucking wasting my life playing video games for eight hours a day, mm-hmm. but to not do it is uncomfortable. So you get pulled in and you're back into it. And once you're in it, it's just you're in it. Right. Yeah. You can know. I'm sure waking up in the morning, some people are like, today's the day I'm going to quit smoking. Mm-hmm. And four o'clock rolls around, you leave work, and it's like, uh, maybe tomorrow, right? Yeah. It, there's, there's a pull to it. So to me, that's, it's the compulsion mm-hmm. that defines that. Yeah. Maybe I just haven't identified my own compulsion, and that's why I have such a hard time. You know, you know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, yeah. uh God, maybe that's something we can unearth over the years to come, right? Yeah, buddy. Yeah. Let's figure out what I makes you forward. fucking weird. Oh, many, many <laughs> things, Tom. Many things. So anyway, that was that was a minor um, kind of sidebar, I guess, in the conversation. E versus C? Is that where you're at? Huh? E versus C? E versus C. Empathy versus compassion, baby. Is that right, where you, you're about to go? That was not where I was about to go, but I think, look, let's go there. So empathy versus compassion. Yeah. This is something that you picked out as as a key. And Absolutely. I agree, it was a key. Yeah. Tell me what you thought was most impactful to you about it. Well, you know, I was listening to it and uh, I was listening to this as I, as I was driving and I'm like, wow, that is a really clear and concise explanation. And I'd never thought of it before. Did and you write like, it down? Do you remember what it was so you can kind of reiterate? I, I don't remember the quote exactly, but it was something to the effect of, you know, empathy is feeling someone's pain or suffering. And compassion is wanting to ease it. That's right. Okay, that's right. so that, that I'm paraphrasing possibly, but that that's approximately what he said. And I'm like, man, I would agree with that 110%. I've always identified myself as someone who is empathetic. And then hearing that, I kind of thought for a moment, and I said, yeah, I'm definitely empathetic, and I'm not compassionate, because there is rarely ever any action behind it. You know, it made me just kind of pause and think, okay, that's great that you're able to feel someone else's pain and understand it, but what are you doing to ease it? You know, if, you, if you've got that opportunity, you've been put in a position to, to where you're aware of somebody's pain, you know, are you, are you trying, to, trying to ease it? And I think nine times out of 10, I'm not. And so that was very, uh, you know, kind of personally convicting, as they say. And so that's why that really stood out to me. It does make you kind of reframe some stuff, right? Mm-hmm. I'm also an empathetic person. And I can feel the vibes that someone's yeah. given off. Yeah. And depending on what it is, I'm compassionate or I'm not. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, it's circumstantial a lot of, in a lot of cases. And perhaps that's something that we can both work on is understanding and recognizing that when those opportunities present themselves. Yeah. To be more compassionate and not just, oh, it sucks to be you, man. I feel yeah. that. You know? Yeah. I think, though, honestly, going back to the example of, of losing a child, the most compassionate thing you can do in some of those cases is simply listen. Yeah. And there is no action to be taken. Yeah. It's just being present is compassion in that moment because 
that's all someone needs is yeah, to be I, with somebody. I don't think that you, to consider yourself, quote unquote, like, okay, let me go through my checklist here. Am I compassionate? You don't have to actually ease someone's pain. It's the desire to ease someone's pain. Yeah. Yeah, because at the same time, you can write a big check to a foundation that's helping somebody out with, you know, whether it's building homes or whatever, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't make you compassionate necessarily. You don't necessarily care. It's just, hey, this is good for my taxes, right? Right. Right. Oh, yeah, that could be, yeah. There's a lot of ways to kind of skin that cat. Yeah. But, yeah, I agree. That was was an eye-opening one for me. Along the same lines, the thing that I found most impactful of this entire episode was when he was talking about wise selfishness. That was my next point, yeah. I was literally just like, oh, I've been waiting for this because I've had so many conversations about, is altruism real? Right. If you do something expecting nothing in return, how fucking good do you feel to have helped someone, yeah. to have made something better, to have fixed something, to have even just smiled at someone and made their day? Hold a door for somebody, right? Yeah, man. That The joy that you get from that, there's nothing altruistic about that. But to call it wise selfishness was amazing. Spot on. Yeah. Yeah. I thought, I thought the same thing. I had never heard that before. Had you ever heard that term no, before? No, never heard that before. But I also don't follow the Dalai Lama that closely. That's true. So. That's true. Yeah, that's a whole other thing we could get into, but... Yeah, well, that's where he got it, right? Yeah. So that was something he learned mm-hmm. from the Dalai Lama. And for me, I was just like, yeah, man, absolutely. And that's the way I'm going to start phrasing things moving forward. It makes it a lot more tolerable, too, because yeah. you don't have to worry about being altruistic and like, am I getting something out of this? And kind of like, can I call this altruistic if I'm feeling good about having done it? Never a struggle I've had, I'd have to be honest. Um, it's more just like the argument of yeah, it, right? Yeah. Like if you think of it as a legal case that you're litigating, yeah. was this altruistic or not? I think, I think it's Did so funny how you that? frame things and you like litigate in your mind all the time. All the time. A missed opportunity. You should have been a freaking lawyer because I'm, I'm literally over here like, hey, it'd be good to do this because it's good. So I'm going to do it. <laughs> you know yeah, what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm, I'm such a simple person, I think. I'm just lazy. Like, that's literally <laughs> the reason I didn't go to law school. So I was like, nah, do I want to spend money and do school some more? No. Nah. So, I mean, yes, in my dreams, would I be a, a prosecutor? Yeah, that would have been great. But I also know that I don't want to work 80-hour weeks. And Oof, you know, Who does, right? I'll litigate arguments in my relationship and call that good. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, I usually get overruled by the judge on that one. She brings say, the hammer there's down other on There's repercussions me. and ramifications. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I can litigate all I want, but at the end of the day, if she's like, "Sorry, you're wrong," then that's that's the verdict. Court's dismissed, <laughs> asshole. <laughs> yeah. That's usually how it goes, just like that. As it should. Yep. As it should. Yep. The last thing that I thought was interesting in this, and it's the same point that I had with Jeff, but I want to get your perspective on it. So the point about watching Welcome to Wrexham and the conversation that they had with the soccer fans about during COVID, what do you miss most about the team? And overwhelmingly, the response was that men in particular missed the opportunity to connect and talk with other men. They missed the relationships that were formed in the periphery of Mm -hmm. watching soccer. Right. And similarly... Jeff was talking about his friend that, you know, they hop online to play video games and really don't really play video games. They're just talking the whole time. Yeah. 
And it reinforced that concept that was presented in the show that men to have a conversation need to have something else going on. The conversation, while realistically is the primary thing that they're there for, they have to frame it as a peripheral to whatever the manly thing is that's going on that's brought them together. Right. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, man, that, that's a good one. My thoughts are be who the hell you are, right? Stop worrying. Like, I, I find it interesting, but it's another thing I don't understand because I'm like, I've never been into sports, right? I don't go out socially and drink. I get up early. I do my thing. I did it. Like, COVID was a net gain for me. I gained more time. Yeah, but you don't have any friends. And I think that helps explain that part. <laughs> that is by design, Tom, right? Um, so, you know, point in case, this. I do this because I like having these conversations, and I don't need to frame shit. And if anybody has a problem with that, kick rocks. I don't care. Right. But that's, I mean, we're, a, I don't call us special. We're not we're special. We're special, Tom. <laughs> we're special. We are special. But, the, right, the whole point of this project is because we have these conversations. Right. And we're like, why the fuck doesn't anyone else do this? I don't understand it. Yeah. Right. So I think we are the exception or a small minority yeah. of people who specifically get together with the intentionality of we're just going to have a conversation about our lives and what's going on with us. Yeah. Good, bad, ugly, all of it. Yeah. And that's the goal is to normalize that. The point is not about us in particular. Right. But have you seen this in, yes in yeah men, i mean right? i think so so you know like okay socially it's not acceptable to get together with your boys and to talk and if somebody cries that's okay unless a championship is being won and yes then, yes what the hell sense does that make you know it just right. does you know i yes but that concept i think is absolutely accurate right whether i it's, mean even think about it at the gym the guys that you lifted and trained with, you got to know them pretty good. You guys would talk about some shit that was gone on in your lives. But if you weren't in the gym, would you ever have gotten together to have that conversation? No, no. And I more times than not didn't have training partners. Okay, going back to you don't have any friends. And kept, kept the headphones in. Yeah, I'm there, for, I'm there for a reason, not for conversation. I'm here for conversation, Tom. Yeah, okay. You know? right. No, but you're absolutely right. Yeah, and, and you build connections and relationships through sports, through the gym, through whatever that you other to your point you otherwise wouldn't have had the opportunity to it just boggles my mind that by and large that's where we are it seems silly right when you say it out loud yeah it seems silly i mean that's one thing that women absolutely do so much better than us and there are myriad things but this is At one least that they four or five yeah they're <laughs> i mean they're they are all star all pro all team all world when it comes to yeah. getting together with the girlfriends to do God knows what and leave us to our own devices, to our own self-destruction, <laughs> usually. But we don't have anything like that unless it's, well, I'm going to go to the game. Go to the bar. 10 beers. Yeah, whatever. You know? Yeah. So, I don't know. That's something that I feel like really needs to change. And yeah. it doesn't have to be every week. It's, you know, like Jeff said, when we talk on the phone, we've talked a handful of times in the past couple of years. Yeah. And that's the way it is with most of my friends. Mm -hmm. The ones that I care to keep in touch with, to me, that means talking once every six months, once a year in a lot of cases. Right. But when we do talk, it is unpacking the deep shit. It's not surface level because there's no point in that. It's a waste of time 
to talk to someone once every couple months and then not talk about anything that really matters. Why would you waste that opportunity to talk about the weather and sports? Exactly. And it could be, I mean, it might be a lead in, right? And I'm going to use a personal example for this too. So my brother, Mark, my youngest brother, he's one of these people. And so when he and I played baseball together in Denver, signed up to go and play this tournament in Vegas. Mm -hmm. So he and I drove out to Las Vegas together, which from Denver is like, it's 10 hours plus. Freaking road trip. I'm there for it. The entire time. And this has been, this is pretty much our entire lives to this point. 90 plus percent of every conversation we've had has been about baseball in some way or another. And this was the exact same for the first eight hours. And at eight hours in, we ran out of baseball shit to talk about. And for the first time in his life, he opened up to me about personal stuff that was happening in his life that I didn't know about. Whether it was relationship stuff or just how things were going at work. We never talk about that stuff. And I would, sometimes I would try and prod him, but it would always kind of veer off. It was like, no, it's not, that's not something we talk about. It's not something we talk about. But after eight hours of talking about bullshit, we finally got down to it. And that was the first time that I ever felt like he and I truly connected. Yeah. I mean, it persists to this day. 80% of every conversation we have is talking about baseball, fantasy baseball, who's doing this, that, whatever. And then it takes some time to break that down and be like, okay, oh, I remember that time we did that. That was cool. Let's get into the personal stuff. Really? Really? Yeah. Have you ever tried just leading in with like, man, how's it going? You doing all right? Yeah, my fantasy team is doing great. You oh, so see, like, and it just it's it's like it's reflexive. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow, that's yeah. crazy. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, when that slapped me in the face watching that show and then hearing Jeff talk about, it, I was like, holy shit, that's what my brother does. Yeah. You know, and it's not a knock on him. He's most guys. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And I'm just so I'm wired so differently from that. I've always been a type of person that wants to connect and wants to know more about people and share more about myself. Mm-hmm. I don't think that either one is right or wrong. No. Yeah, yeah. But I feel like overall, I'm a lighter person. I don't carry a lot of shit with me. And I think a lot of that is because as soon as shit happens to me, I'm talking about it, I'm bailing it and getting it out of my yeah. life. Yeah, it's probably much healthier, and I'm sure you'll live years longer than people that hold on to. I mean, yeah, we'll see. I mean, that's it's one factor, right? Right, but ultimately, in general, I'm a happy person, yeah. and a lot of it is just because I feel like I can work through a lot of the shit and get rid of it. Yeah, and that's what I'm hoping that other people can kind of latch on to and take that risk because it is a risk. Oh, absolutely. Right? That ties into the other point that I want to talk about, which is the fear of being laughed at. Mm-hmm. I related the story from when I was 10, my dad laughed at me, Jeff connected to his son who had a similar experience that likely he'll remember for the rest of his life, Yeah. right? And hopefully in the future, he'll be able to frame it in a context that he's like, oh, I get what my dad was trying to say. But I think a lot of us grow up with that and never lose it. There's always that fear of, well, if I do or say something that is off base and someone laughs at me, that's going to ruin me. Yeah. And then we have to get over that fear because at the end of the day, nobody gives a shit. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Nobody thinks about you more than you. Absolutely. That's 110% true. I think a lot of times that stems from being people pleasers, right? We, we want to please people and we want... At a base level, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We want people to like us because if people like us, then we have value, you know, as an individual and we'll be seen as quote unquote good, right? And it's just being accepted by yeah. your peers and yeah. in the group, right? Because that group mentality, the essential nature of needing a group is so innate 
Yeah. And to risk being outcast for whatever reason, that's a huge risk. And I think that's where the fear comes from. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure it's some deep-seated psychological thing. But you, I feel like, don't really have that either at this point. Uh, I, and I'm, I'm trying, you know, that's why I'm, I'm kind of, I'm trying to like honestly think about that. I, I don't think I do, but it could be bullshit, right? It could be a defense. I do feel like there are some things that you do hold back more than I would. Yeah. And I'm, I'm going to work that out. Yeah, keep, too. keep, keep working on me. By and large, I don't give a shit and I don't have a lot of time for nonsense. So I think that's part of what causes the give a shit, but things I care about, I want people to know that I take seriously. It may seem like I have a, a weightier approach to things than is necessary, but sometimes I think that's just how I convey seriousness or importance. But yeah, for the most part, I don't give a shit what people think. I think that's healthy too. Yeah. Right. There's, and you can not give a shit what people think and still be uh, empathetic yeah. and compassionate human being. Yeah. I mean, for God's sakes, I had bleached hair and 14 piercings, most of which were in my face, you know, and I'm rolling through life like this. Eat it, bitches. <laughs> dude, you need to, I need to see a picture of that. Oh, dude, I'll have to find one. Yeah, man, I had all sorts of shit in my face. So yeah. you were basically screaming, don't talk to me, don't approach me because I might murder you. <laughs> but I, I wasn't really into murder at that time. <laughs> 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 oh that was solid that was solid how do you come back from that how do you follow I that i don't even know i don't know. Uh, the funny thing is you know if i think about it at that point in time i was probably a little more socially outgoing outgoing yeah, yeah like more, you were interested in in meeting other people were you looking more. for people that kind of reflected back what you were putting out um no i wouldn't i wouldn't say that but i i was i would put myself in social settings more frequently. I think some of that changes over time too. Jeff was mentioning in high school and college, particularly in college, it's easier to meet people who are like you or not like you, Right. but you're not really attached, yeah. right? You're past the high school stage of establishing the pecking order, so you're a little bit freer, but you're not at the stage where you have to seriously take on adulting so that you don't right. fall into dereliction, right? right? You're right. in that kind of gray area. Yeah. And I think that is the time when most people do tend to blossom, as he says, particularly once you start getting to that point where people start getting married. And all of a sudden, your priorities and your time shifts from hanging out with the boys mm -hmm. to spending time with your wife yeah, and spending time with your kids. Like, your window of available time diminishes. Greatly. Yeah. Yeah. Like, trying to pin you down for an opportunity to sit down and have a conversation. That's the biggest hang-up for us. It's like, when can you have time? And like, I, some days it seems like it would take an act of God. Yeah. Right. And I understand that. Yeah. Not on the level that you do, because you live it. Yeah. But I'm appreciative of that, and I, that's why we work together to find times that we can do this. Yeah. But in terms of having relationships with other guys... I mean, the window gets smaller and smaller and smaller, and yeah. that's where the intentionality really comes in. Like, you have to pin down times. We have it on our calendars yeah. that this time is when we're doing this, month, and nothing else gets in the way. A month or two in advance, and I don't feel bad about that at all. Now, I don't schedule play dates to go have a beer or go sit at a bar and hang out and chit-chat and make small talk because I'm not taking time away from my family to talk about the weather and sports. This is different. There's value to 
to this. You know, I believe there's value to it. Even if we weren't doing a podcast, there's value in you and I having this conversation. And so that, you know, I'll bend over backwards to allocate time for. Yeah. Because I believe there's value to it. That's it, right? You're looking for the value add, right? Yeah. Because you, with the limited time you have, you're trying to maximize the value you can get out of that. And, and the value I can give, too. Sure, yeah. 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 Reciprocation. Mm-hmm. Do you have anything else that you had picked up to fire off on this one? No, that was most of it. I I think it's really funny that usually two out of our three points are tied together. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. You know, it's a small sample size so far. This is the third conversation that we've put out there. Mm -hmm. But I'm already starting to see some recurring themes. And I think that when we get to five, ten you know, conversations deep, it would be interesting to do an episode where we just kind of talk about, all right, what are the main recurring themes that we're seeing? And then kind of dive into how do we then, based on these recurring themes of either what it was that I wish I had known back then, right, or what is my guiding principles and tenets now? How can we take action on those things and make them an active part of our life day to day, week to week? Yeah. And how can we build that and put that in a, in a digestible format that we can present to our community and say, hey, guys, if you're with us, this is what we're working on this week. Share with us how this is working for you. Yeah. And I think that would be a cool thing to do. So, yeah. you know, let's get a little bit deeper in here yeah. and get a bigger data pool to pull from. But are you seeing any of those recurring themes? Too? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think what's really funny is that. So when I take it and think about it, I'm like, What's that? That's mindfulness and intentionality. Yes, that's it exactly is. what it is. Yes, it so, is. So, yeah, absolutely. Yep. Cool. Well, last thing I'll mention is that Jeff did give me uh, the link to his website. So anybody who did listen to that conversation with him is interested in investigating mindfulness, whether or not you choose to go down that path or take a different route. There's you know multiple ways, multiple philosophies on meditation, different techniques. Find the one that works for you. But if you want somewhere to start. You can definitely go back and look at the show notes or the bio underneath the episode for uh, the conversation with Jeff and his information is linked there. So good place to get started if this is something that you think you want to start applying in your life. I guess that'll kind of close the book on on this one for today, but good conversation. I appreciate you showing up and glad I didn't have to smack that hoe down to... (laughs) to get you here drop that hoe drop (laughs) as i said i don't qualify uh, or quantify myself as a good parent so (laughs) i'm fun though i bet you are all right buddy well until next time yeah man take it easy peace